You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. This is your co-host, Danny. And we have a fun-filled show for you today. We're actually going to recap episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance, uh, affectionately known as the Jordan documentary. And then we'll go ahead and give an overview of all 10 episodes, just really give you our general thoughts on it. To uh, recap episodes 9 and 10, uh, one of the highlights that I noticed Really, the Pacers and their toughness that pushes the Bulls to the brink of elimination. The Bulls were really, really on the hinge of really uh, making NBA history. But the Pacers, who had a a very well-put-together team, coached by Larry Bird, uh, the legend, had a very deep bench uh, and where Reggie Miller really was the highlight, the all-star of that team. Uh, and so it was really interesting just to really hear Jordan and his take on the Pacers and how actually the Pacers were behind the Detroit Pistons, were the toughest team that he actually faced in his career uh, with the Bulls. That was a very tough fought game. The Bulls obviously went ahead and prevailed, but it was really interesting just to see the highlights uh, of the Pacers with the Davis boys, Mark Jackson. Rick Schmitz. Rick Schmitz. I mean, you had a plethora of, of, of great, talented players who were uh, really veterans. Chris Mullen, very, very much of a highlight um, in seeing that in episode nine. What say you, Danny? With the Pacers, Jason, it showcased how good Reggie Miller really was. I think he's one of the lost souls, so to speak, with the NBA because he played in Indiana. He wasn't playing in a major market. and the way you watch that series and how he was shooting and the shots he was making and his toughness, junk talking he did, he would get in people's faces, <laughs> but that's the way he was. That's the way he always played. Mm-hmm. So it really portrayed Reggie in a, a good light, which I thought was well-deserved the way he played in that series. And um, just leading up to that, man, cause he had a great career up to that point. And then after that series beyond that, where they, Got to another championship. They fell short to the Lakers. But it did showcase how good Reggie was and how good that Pacers team really was and how deep they were. I think the other highlight of it was Reggie's story in where he plays uh, the Chicago Bulls uh, in the preseason game. Jordan wasn't doing that well, just going through the motions, if you will. Reggie was lighting it up in the first half. Uh, One of Reggie's uh, teammates was egging uh, him on about Jordan. And how Jordan, this is this is you, this is how you play. And then Jordan just looked at him and was like, okay, all right, second half, next thing you know, Jordan put it on him, man. Reggie only scored two points. And then ultimately Jordan had like 30 something. And next thing you know, Jordan said, Hey, don't ever mess with black Jesus. That part to me was absolutely hilarious, especially with Reggie Miller in the first half saying, Hey, this is how you play, Jordan. I mean, you supposed to be walking on water, all that. Jordan let him know, don't mess with Black Jesus. And so, therefore, throughout, Reggie Miller has called Michael Jordan Black Jesus or the Black Cat. 
very interesting story, but it, it all circled back to that conference finals and that ultimately that game. So that was definitely a highlight there. And one other thing to add to that, Jason, it showed how much respect Jordan had for him too. So the ser- the episode before when he laughed at Gary Payton when he saw the tablet, he spoke in high regard for Reggie Miller. So it was something else that just showed it was hard to earn his respect, but he understood how good Reggie was and how he challenged him and actually pushed him to make him a better player. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree there. Uh, the other highlight was uh, Utah and just the problems that the players, NBA players, have in Utah. Jordan getting sick, um, primarily off of the pizza, and how five people came knocking on their door. They or and Jordan tells the story, and some of his friends tell the story, and how they run on outskirts of downtown downtown Utah there, and it's downtown Salt Lake City. And it was late at night. Jordan wants a pizza. He was very hungry. They order it. They finally found find somewhere, first of all. Five people come knocking on the door, delivers the pizza. Some of his friends say, hey, that's suspect as hell, basically. And Jordan, from other interviews after the, this episode, Jordan actually spit on the pizza to say, hey, y'all already ate pizza's mine. That's why nobody ate any of the pizza. And next thing you know, Jordan eats it, and then he obviously gets sick. So what we know as the flu game – is really upset stomach game or abysmal game. <laughs> uh, and so just thought that was interesting, but it shows just to the depth that the fans would go to uh, really impact the game. But that's not the only story that we've heard over the course of years with Utah fans. I mean, we've heard about uh, Westbrook having issues with Utah fans. It seems to be a known thing in the NBA that when you go to Utah, you're going to experience some fan problems, which to me is just absolutely ridiculous. What about you, Danny? I think fan-wise, you covered on that, and I'm just going to put allegedly around that because there's been so many stories after Jordan said that about the pizza, about how many people were there, and you and I have stayed at a hotel, and you order pizza, they ain't letting you pass the front desk. So (laughs) unless unless you got the hookup. So that's what I'm saying allegedly because the story is bouncing all around now. But with Utah, besides the fans, the actual series themselves were very hard fought. And to see how Utah and they played the Bulls tooth and nail. One of the things I noticed, those fans who are a little younger, look at the scores in those games. In the fourth quarter, 69 to 72, 77 to 77. That showed, one, how much defense was being played, or two, how they slowed the game down and how physical it was. It wasn't very up-and-down, run-and-gun type basketball. So it brought me back to, like we talked about in previous shows, like the Knicks, the Pacers. In those games, man, it was first one to 100. You were winning. It highlighted Carl Malone and how good he was, even though – he had some issues at the free throw line in that series that ended up kept costing them the championship. Watching them play, man, how physical they were. Like you watch Stockton, man, he throwing forearms and cats flying all over the place. <laughs> and they wouldn't call it. 
That's right. That was his part of the game. So if you watch Jordan and a lot of those games, he was getting beat up. Utah was a team I didn't cheer for back in the day. So it was very tough for me in those two championship series to get on one side or the other. But ultimately, I didn't really care for Utah. So that's why I cheered for Chicago, kind of. How about you, Jason? I agreed there. And, you know, I definitely got to say, allegedly, with the pizza delivery and how many people, uh, again, the story's been bouncing all over the place. So definitely, allegedly. But, yeah, with the food poison, what can we say, man? I mean, Jordan, the last shot, the last game was was absolutely phenomenal. I I think what I really saw uh, was, again, to your point, just how physical – the game really was. They slowed it down. They slowed the pace of the game down. A whole lot of pick and roll action, especially with uh, Stockton and Malone. A lot of uh, pick and roll, a lot of pick and pops, a lot of dump down, down low, post up games, things of that nature, where it slowed the game down. But nonetheless, you see a lot of X's and O's uh, being done, a lot of mind games in a sense being done. It did highlight just how good Carl Malone really was. I mean, whether he picked and rolled or picked and popped especially off of the wing, especially off of that left wing. I mean, uh, he was deadly. Truth be told, that's why he got the MVP uh, that year. And that was one of the sticklers, the reasons that Jordan actually uh, really wanted to get into Utah. Uh, he used that as motivation. Okay, Malone, you, you got the MVP, but you know what? I'm about to go ahead and get this ring. The other highlight was Brian Russell. Yes. Brian Russell was someone who was religiously caught on camera just getting ate up by Jordan. I don't know why Jay Sloan and the coaching staff didn't switch some things up in the defensive strategy of putting <laughs> Brian Russell on, on Jordan. I just don't get it. Last shot, obviously, Brian Russell – uh, got escorted away a little bit with uh, Jordan's left hand. Uh, another buzzer beater in, in Chicago in where Brian Russell was really on, caught on camera again, slipping. So Brian Russell was definitely a highlight there. Mike, we've talked about in the past, Jay, why didn't Utah throw a double team at Jordan on that last shot? We talked in the past, previous series, we had Steve Kerr, John Paxson hitting those threes. And maybe that's why Utah didn't throw a double team at Jordan. The other thing was, too, in that game, how much time was remaining after Jordan mm-hmm. hit the shot. Mm-hmm. So it was, what, 5.2 seconds or mm-hmm. something like that? Mm-hmm. And they had a good look where they almost tied it and won it, which then if that went to game seven and they showed Pippen having back issues, what would have happened if it would have went to a game seven? But Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To that point. I mean, just that last sequence, I mean, let's think about it for a moment. Jordan first goes in for a layup. This is off of a a Phil Jackson timeout. So I'm pretty sure that in the timeout, they were like, you know what, let's go ahead and get a fast two here. Let's get back on defense so that way we can get the ball back uh, in enough time to go ahead and, you know, go ahead. So Jordan goes in for that layup off the right-hand side. Next thing you know, as everybody I'm pretty certain has watched, the ball goes down to Carl Malone. Stockton throws it down to him. Jordan does not clear out. He goes ahead and strips Carl uh, Malone. And the beauty of it, and I think this is what I think a lot of people don't recognize, the beauty of all this, 
Phil Jackson does not call a timeout. He allows it to play out, which doesn't allow uh, the Utah Jazz to really set their defense. And I think that's the beauty of it as well, because you're thinking, okay, in my mind, we have Jordan. It was interesting hearing Dennis Rodman really state after that strip, oh, we knew Jordan was going to take, take the last shot. Everybody in the, in the world knew he was going to take the last shot, so I got the hell out the way, and which, <laughs> which was absolutely phenomenal. That was some great, great commentary. And I would say this, it was, it was beautiful for Phil Jackson not to call that timeout, for Jordan to go ahead and set the stage himself. And then ultimately, going back to that whole double-team concept, yeah, you're right. To double-team Jordan would mean to really leave open a Paxson in this particular case, a Kerr or whomever else, for that outside jumper. Uh, it has won championships before. I think that got into the psyche of the Utah Jazz, and they just decided just to go ahead and remain uh, man-to-man. Bad step, bad move by the Utah Jazz. But again, had Phil Jackson, if he would have called that timeout, I think that defense, defensive strategy would have been entirely different. I think the Utah Jazz were actually going with just how in their mindset and just how they played defense in the past, how they would play, play it out. So a great move by Coach Phil Jackson, um, but even a greater shot by Jordan. Yes, and two last thing around this whole last shot was Jordan outscored the Utah Jazz 8-3 to three in the last three minutes and 40-some seconds. Shame on Utah for not scoring more points either, right? To seal the, try to seal it at home to get to game seven. Mm-hmm. To let Jordan, he was the only one shooting. To them to see Pippen hurt and not to do more prior to that, that showed how much Jordan wanted it and how great he was to carry his team offensively and defensively. So let's go ahead and go into the, our overall thoughts on the 10-part series of this documentary and where we're going to categorize it and how we view things and our takeaways from it. Uh, one of the categories that we have here is residual beefs. Of course, Isaiah Thomas. That beef is still there. There are still some hurt feelings on Isaiah's part because obviously he indicated that he could have been on the dream team had it not been for the Detroit Pistons walking off without shaking the hands of the Chicago Bulls. Um, so I think that beef is definitely still there. Charles Barkley in that beef on the series itself, Charles Barkley, I mean, they showed the Phoenix Suns, obviously, and the Chicago Bulls in the finals, how Charles Barkley did an exceptional job, actually, in that series with the exceptional game one. Thereafter, Charles criticized Jordan for um, his ownership in the Charlotte Hornets and how bad of a job, quote unquote, Jordan as, as an owner is doing. And so that beef is still there. Horace Grant and how Horace Grant caused Jordan a snitch. That is another residual beef. And that is very interesting. I think that goes really deep. I mean, on a docuseries, you saw the episode in where um, they asked about the Jordan rules, who was the one who leaked things. 
Jordan, without hesitation, said, oh, that was Horace Grant. Horace Grant comes back, in, you know, after the episode and said, well, during an episode and says, no, that wasn't me. Somebody lying. <laughs> There's some kind of lie somewhere or in a sense that could be just Jordan's perception of, hey, Horace was bored with, with Sam Smith. And ultimately that came out. That later turns into how Jordan is, quote unquote, a snitch based upon Jordan's episode as a rookie going into a hotel room, going to where the players are. And then he sees a lot of stuff happening in the room, whether it's uh, some drugs happening or um, some ladies happening. He was not necessarily used to coming from college campus, things of that nature. Hey, Horace Grant called him a snitch. The other residual beef was that of Craig Hodges. You didn't see Craig Hodges in none of the episodes. Man caught a jersey clip. (laughs) 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 One of the championship runs. (laughs) Maybe a jersey. (laughs) Craig Hodges was a pivotal person in terms of, you know, human rights. And the fact that he wasn't really in here, I think there's some kind of beef there. Uh, I would refer you to our previous episodes uh, and where we go into a little bit more in depth about Craig Hodges. But I, I, th- I think that there's some residual beef there. The quote that really was a highlight for me uh, was that was that of Jordan saying Republicans buy sneakers too? Leadership has a price. Uh, I, I don't think that quote really gets enough attention. Uh, I think that was just really his mindset of how to really lead. I, I just think that was just something that you know I think should get a little bit more traction. Um, the other quote by Jordan: "If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way." That's when he said, uh, "Break." and took the earpiece out. And to me, that was really the essence of who Jordan really is. Yeah, just a, a lot of great, great quotes in here. Yeah, there were a um, ton splattered throughout this whole docuseries from not only Jordan, it's all the different cast members and people they interview or interview interviewees were awesome and Jordan all on leadership and how he operated as a person like the ones you highlighted Jason and some mm-hmm. of the other things we talked about in previous shows talking about taking negatives and turning them into positives and and always looking for an advantage on his opponent another quote by Jordan that I feel really tells who he is when people see this they're going to say well he wasn't really a nice guy he may have been a tyrant oh well that's you because you've never won anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. To me, that just really tells who Jordan really was. I mean, win at all costs type of guy, type of player, type of person. And that to me, if that's not a quote that a lot of people, uh, it's a little bit, I don't know what is. If you're competing, you're competing at all costs. You want to win. Yeah, you can have fun. But let's be honest, man. It's going to be a lot more fun to to actually win. So uh, that was just a, another quote there by Jordan. The other one, uh, not necessarily a quote, but really what is considered a new Jordan meme is him laughing at the iPad when 
Gary Payton says that he's actually, you know, if had he been on Jordan in the series early on, the series could have went towards the Seattle Supersonics or go in their favor. Jordan looks at that, busts out laughing, <laughs> and basically, yeah, Gary, you're good, but come on, man, I have other things in my mind. And they flash to obviously Father's Day, obviously uh, Jordan coming back from uh, playing baseball, uh, but ultimately from his father uh, being murdered. But that was just absolutely hilarious to see. Jordan laugh at Gary Payton, a Hall of Famer at that great defensive player. and was actually a defensive player of the year to get laughed at by an all-time great, many consider who the GOAT, and he laughs at him. That, to me, was hilarious, and now is a meme all over. So that was another uh, quote slash meme. Who looks good from the Bulls organization in this 10-part series? Coach Phil Jackson, the fact of how he really gathered the many personalities, uh, the many egos in both three-peat runs uh, was absolutely amazing. Uh, The fact of him letting Dennis Rodman just let him go to Vegas. Dennis Rodman needed this little break. Hey, let Dennis go. Uh, His connection with Dennis, though, too, um, in in terms of the Native American heritage and all, uh, I think was absolutely phenomenal. It's something that we don't we hadn't seen before or I haven't seen before. I think that connection with them, with Dennis, was absolutely phenomenal. To add to that, Jason, just how they bought in as a team. So he introduced the triangle. He had all these teams and different players because their teams weren't steady throughout the years throughout those championship runs his star players were but he had a lot of different role players that needed that came into the fold every year him being able to do that and get everyone to buy in everyone buying into his zen the mindset where you see them doing yoga and taking an internal reading of their bodies that was cool and just the mere fact of how he stood his ground 82 and 0, you're still not coming back by Jerry Krause, which started to show off. And then Reinsdorf coming in after they win their sixth championship and saying, how about coming back, Phil? And he said, nope. So I like that in him and how he stood by his players. Definitely have to agree there. Other person that looks good in this is Dennis Rodman. For him to uh, <laughs> be open about Vegas, for him to be open about needing of a break, or I think was absolutely phenomenal just to kind of tell that story. And like I mentioned in our previous episodes, I think there needs to be a documentary of Jordan going down to go get uh, Dennis Rodman in Vegas. I really want to see what happened there. We're not going to see it, of course, because uh, that's kind of considered a locker room, the locker room, if you will. But but also Rodman's professionalism in where and what I mean by that is more so once he got on the court, he was about business. He was really about business or trying to get in the in the head of Carl Malone or whatever other player, but it was really all about uh, winning. And he indicated that in in terms of Michael knew that he had Dennis there. He knew Dennis was going to actually be really committed once he got on the So very, very good look by uh, Dennis Rodman in this documentary, in in my opinion. And then to add to that, Jason, I think his belief in Phil Jackson, you kind of alluded to it, but it was like even during the championship, 
in the Utah series in the final championship, Dennis goes and leaves after the game to go to wrestling, to WCW, to do a show. <laughs> Out the blue, doesn't go to practice. And does Phil find him? I don't know. No. He just said, <laughs> come on, man. You need what you need to do. Let's get back on this and let's take care of business. Hey, man, that was some funny stuff right there, man. Listen, <laughs> and seeing Monday Night Nitro, seeing the NWO, Hulk Hogan, when he turned bad. You remember how Hulk Hogan turned bad, man, and, and, and how he darkened his beard, left a little gold goatee, but the rest of the beard was all darkened and everything. I was like, man, now if that doesn't take me back, I don't know what does. That was when wrestling was really, <laughs> really good in mm-hmm. uh, all, man. But, yeah, it was just really interesting how Dennis navigated, honestly, from the entertainment world off the court and really back on the entertainment world on the court. Um, so uh, I don't think we, we give enough props to Dennis for that. I mean, when you think about a, how a lot of players now are doing a lot of stuff off the court, back then it, it wasn't a whole lot of players doing that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of having the extracurricular, I mean, Jordan was because obviously he had all the endorsements and yeah, he was, you know, filming, he filmed the movie, of course, but a lot of the players weren't doing that. But Dennis Rodman, he was, he was actually doing entertainment on both sides, different form of entertainment, but he still came on court and did the job and did it very well in the hall of fame career. So I don't think Rodman gets enough credit for that. And it may have looked like, Dennis was a knucklehead or whatever, but Dennis lived his life. And that's why I believe he looks very good in this documentary. Last point on Dennis Rodman. He saved them in a couple of those championships too. I said this before. So that's another reason he looks good because they don't highlight it because it's Jordan. But if you go back and watch the games, if you have that time, See what Rodman did for them in those series, 96, 97, 98. So B.J. Armstrong, another one who I think looks good in this documentary, however you want to call it, but B.J. Armstrong is another one who uh, looks very good in this. Just uh, his competitiveness, uh, especially when he uh, played against the Bulls when he uh, decided to go to the Hornets. They played each other in the uh, playoffs and how – B.J. Armstrong came strong in that one game and and led the Hornets to a victory over the Bulls in Chicago Stadium. B.J. went ahead and competed against Jordan. B.J. tells a story of how when Jordan uh, was playing baseball, I think this was during the strike, Jordan came comes back up and they go out for brunch. After they eat brunch, B.J. talks a little trash. Next thing you know, BJ was like, well, I'm on my way to uh, practice. Why don't you come on through? Next thing you know, they play one-on-one, and the rest is history. Uh, so I think BJ looks very good in this 10-part series. Um, John Paxson and Steve Kerr, they won championships for the Chicago Bulls. We talked about earlier how Utah Jazz did not double on Jordan, how Phil Jackson decided to uh, let the – play run after Jordan strips Carl Malone. Ultimately, again, Jordan hits the last shot. But they didn't double on Jordan. That is because, in my belief, is because 
in previous championship runs, especially with the Lakers, uh, especially, I mean, there's, it's the Phoenix Suns. They always doubled on Jordan at the very end. And Jordan will always find the open shooter, that being John Paxson or Steve Kerr in, in, later, in later series, the second uh, three-peat. And so Paxson and Kerr gets a very, very good look in here. Folks who looks good from a Bulls organization standpoint, the security guards or just the security man. They look actually good in this documentary, man. You really get the behind the scenes on security. Now, I'm pretty certain folks now will be a little bit more uh, muscular in nature <laughs> for security. <laughs> but Bull security um, was a highlight here as well. What say you, Danny? Yeah, I think with the security, it just showed not only protecting Jordan through all of the media and him even walking the building, man, they, they would mob him everywhere he went. So security was key from that standpoint for his personal security. Ultimately, they were someone he relied on in life, uh, which obviously you wouldn't see in the forefront, but you see him joking around with them. And then at the end, you know, the security guard let where Jordan looked to him as a father figure when his, with his father passing earlier, where he looked out for Jordan, not only from a basketball standpoint, but from a life standpoint. It was very interesting to see that, how he interacted with his security and how they had his back on everything. No, I agree there. I agree there. The other person who looks good from the Bulls organization, I would say is Scottie Pippen and, and really his defense. His defensive play really stood out, but more so in, the, uh, in their first championship run uh, in terms of how the docuseries was edited. His defense on Magic Johnson uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Scotty's defense was highlighted, I think, more so at the beginning of this documentary uh, as opposed to the rest or throughout uh, the remainder episodes here. Uh, I think, in a sense, that could be a reason why Scotty, or there are reports, or allegedly, that Scotty is not too pleased with uh, this docuseries. Uh, allegedly, there's indication that Scotty actually saw this docuseries before even uh, was presented to ESPN or really uh, pushed out there for our consumption. So allegedly, if Scotty saw this beforehand, he, he should have known and he was okay with it. He should have known that it was good. But I think allegedly the reason why he's not feeling too pleased with this is because of the reaction of it by um, the millions and millions of people who've, who have watched it. So Scotty's defense uh, was very much a highlight. It also uh, proves to me, though, that with Scotty, he sacrificed a whole hell of a lot. Yes, he did. He was, he was underpaid uh, to the nth degree. And for him to get underpaid like that uh, for, for a phenomenal talent who won championships for our organization, sacrificed a lot for the organization. He looks good from that standpoint, but some of the clips that they showed with regards to how he reacted to Jerry Krause, how he got on the bus, start yelling at Jerry Krause, uh, I think that may have been a little bit of a bad look there for Scotty Pippen. But Scotty, you signed the contract. Reinsdorf told you, this is a bad contract, but yet you went ahead and signed it. I don't know if you were hoping that they would renegotiate a deal after a certain period of time. I don't know. But, man, you signed the contract. The other person that looks good in this, Kraus. Just for him putting some of the pieces together. Yes, Jordan was already there. Kraus 
in a sense, assembled um, a juggernaut of a team. And you got to give him props on that. Yeah, I agree. Some of the moves he made, like the Pippen for Polonese and getting Rodman there for that second run, those were key components, man. And when they lost Horace Grant to Orlando, they were able to pivot to get Rodman. So that ultimately showed from his GM standpoint, he knew what he was doing. He, he trusted Phil Jackson and gave Phil Jackson the chance and fired Doug Collins, who was Jordan's guy. He took that chance and put it on the line and brought Phil in to take over. So he did a lot of moves from a GM perspective that get overshadowed by breaking the team up going into the 99 season. So we just didn't want that to get lost in the shuffle. Overall, I think the uh, NBA looks absolutely phenomenal in this. Uh, they are a big winner. The brand of the NBA continues to um, really touch generations. So NBA is a huge winner, not only generations here in the United States, but really globally, where David Stern actually uh, indicated that the growth of the game, especially after the uh, 92 Olympics, especially with having Jordan win championships, how it was so many countries beforehand, but man, now it's like a lot of countries and where the game is a global game. You can't say that about the NFL. The NFL is not a global game. You have soccer or some call it football in other countries and where that is the main, the main game for them. But basketball, oh, that's global. The NBA is a big winner. David Stern is a huge winner in this. Rest in peace, David Stern, because he really made this game global. Michael Jordan's parents, obviously a huge winner in this. I would say this too. Michael Jordan's ex-wife is a big winner in this too. The fact that she wasn't uh, mentioned as much in this, if at all. Um, There were uh, obviously clips of her uh, in there. I think she was a big winner in this because there wasn't um, anything on her um, kind of kept her private uh, as much as possible. So and she probably didn't sign off on, uh, on any of this. So uh, I think she was a big winner in this as well, man, the Eastern conference in the NBA back then was a huge winner. I mean, throughout this docuseries, all you heard about was the Detroit Pistons. You heard about the Knicks. You heard about the Pacers, the Celtics, you heard about the Cavaliers. There were just a lot of great teams in the Eastern Conference that Jordan had to ultimately go through just to get to the finals. A lot of great players can't say that. Yes. So um, I, I would say uh, the Eastern Conference was definitely a big winner in this as well. Yeah, totally agree with you, Jason. Even like you think about the Hawks, the Heat, the Charlotte Hornets, they all had good teams that he had to go through to win those championships. So it's now flip-flop now in our time where the Western Conference is the one talked about as the power conference, but at that time, it was the East. Agreed. Um, the other uh, big winners in this would be Magic, Kobe, Sean Kemp, uh, the Dream Team, uh, Reggie, Carl Malone in terms of his play on the court, but then also in congratulating uh, the Bulls on the bus. That is um, a – that's – sportsmanship to the nth degree. So uh, kudos to uh, Carmelo for doing that. Seattle. Seattle is a big winner in this. I remember after watching the episode, after they showed, you know, the episode of 
Jordan and the Bulls going against the Seattle Supersonics. And on NBA TV, they showed uh, one of the Seattle Supersonics games. And I was like, man, that atmosphere was absolutely amazing. How awesome would it have been to uh, really go to a game there, right? Seattle, to me, was a big winner in this. Uh, and this really highlights the need for Seattle to actually get another get another uh, basketball team there. Um, I think it would definitely be represented very well. ESPN, Netflix, uh, the director, Jason Ayer, uh, is definitely a big winner in this as well. Uh, Nike, Jordan Brands, huge winner uh, in this docuseries. 80s, 90s rap music, man, how they edited it, how they uh, got the team to actually um, get the uh, – to get the – there's the music. <laughs> music. And Jason, on that, on those points of the overall, when you look at it, man, he made out from a branding perspective, I think. You know, we talk about Nike and Jordan. So his legacy is going to continue to live on. It was just a reminder, don't forget about me. Even though his shoes sell out every time they go online in a matter of minutes between different companies, Nike and Foot Locker and everything. So it was just a reminder to say, don't forget about me. And now his legacy continues on not only basketball, but marketing. Because he just marketed to an, a new group of people that wouldn't have maybe not have known who he was. Good point. Who looks bad from the Bulls organization? Like I mentioned before, Scotty and Horace look pretty bad <laughs> uh, from the Bulls organization. As far as Scotty and Horace, yeah, Scotty's one that some of the stuff was self-inflicted from his perspective. I know allegedly um, he may not have enjoyed watching himself be portrayed the way he was. I think in a lot of the cases too, Jordan tried his best to make make him look as good as possible. But some of the stuff was known already that what he did is probably more or less he didn't want to relive the past because he wanted to just say, all right, man, I've dealt with this. I don't need this rehashed again. Now everyone throw my name out here. But a lot of that was him. And even to this day, he still agrees with some of the stuff he did. It's going to be interesting when Scotty gets back into uh, the media's eye, how he'll be received or if the questions will be asked. And I don't see how Scotty can really ditch it. Not unless before he goes on, especially like on uh, he's on ESPN NBA jump uh, at times or some other platforms, he's going to have to address it, man. He's going to have to address it because the elephant is always going to be in the room. So it's going to have to become a point in time where he addresses it, man. It's going to be real interesting to hear his take and to get his feeling of it. I wonder if, Pippen will actually talk to Jordan. It, it all depends because he started the whole thing, a controversy a couple of years ago. He gave the opinion around LeBron and Jordan, and then he flip-flopped it. So he shouldn't have any ill will towards Jordan, in my opinion, based on this docuseries. Because Jordan gave – it wasn't anything like like the 84 team. They should have a gripe. <laughs> but, Scotty, these were all things that were – public information and that's the other one who looks bad from the bulls organization that 84 team man jordan this was that a snitch by jordan was that a snitch by jordan he didn't need to say it put it like that it was entertainment value obviously for us it was like damn 
like I said, it was for entertainment value. It just put a lot of people on Front Street that didn't need to be there because they didn't ask to be put in, in that spot. And now they have to answer questions from maybe a, a spouse or kids. Let me check on this roster. Who was on this roster anymore <laughs> who he might be talking about? So that, that just puts people in an awkward spot that didn't need to be. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf and, and Kraus. I mentioned it earlier that Kraus looked good. Well, you got to put how he looks bad in this for obvious reasons, whether it's from a contract perspective or whether it's from uh, really busting up the team. So uh, I think definitely those two look, look bad in all this, even though Reinsdorf at the end tried to uh, make himself look good in terms of trying to trying to bring back Phil or what have, but nonetheless, the damage was already done. Yeah, I think, too, the other thing that they didn't go too much into was how much influence did Reinsdorf have on Kraus in those negotiations. So was it just Jerry Krause doing everything? Or was Reinsdorf behind the scenes pulling some strings to say, uh, so that's one thing I wish we would have got to see a little more of, just to understand. So then do you really truly blame Jerry Krause for a lot of this? Or is it Reinsdorf? Because sometimes when these organizations and franchises, you don't know who's pulling the strings. Some people have autonomy and they can do whatever they want from a GM perspective. Sometimes you have the GM or the uh, owners meddling, which ultimately may, it puts the GM on the hot seat. I would say the other one, uh, lastly, Craig Hodges still doesn't look good from a Bulls organization perspective. Again, he wasn't really in this documentary and all. I really recommend you go to uh, one of our previous episodes and and clips on uh, the Craig Hodges bit there. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Overall, who doesn't look bad in this docu-series? The NBA. Just as I said, the NBA looks good. The NBA looks bad. And moving the team from Seattle. Again, the Seattle fans, man, just that Seattle atmosphere. Man, that it was electric. And for Seattle to that team to be moved and all, they look, the NBA looks bad in that. Um, the other ones, I would say, obviously, Isaiah, we mentioned that before. I would say the media looks bad. The media from the standpoint of being all in Jordan's personal space, um, the lights, the cameras, the following around, uh, no matter where he went, and which is very different than in today's time with social media. At least with social media, if you see someone famous, yeah, you may take a picture, but you know what? You can take that from afar off and you still get a good picture. If you wanted to uh, speak to someone back then, the media was in Jordan's uh, personal space. They wanted every piece of Jordan. They wanted whatever he said, whatever audio, whatever video clip. And it was just really, really pressing on him, man. You can kind of tell towards the end of his career where he just got fed up. Before the post-game piece that we have right now, I mean, yeah, they had post-game back then, but the way that they crowded around Jordan's locker room was, mm-hmm. uh, man, it was crazy. So Jordan, after a game, he would, you know, obviously shower up, get dressed, whatever the case may be. He would then go to his locker and where waiting for him was nothing but media and the lights. So, man, just a lot of stuff media-wise that I, I think uh, really pressed on uh, Jordan's career. 
And the other thing I want to add to that, Jason, is when Jordan, once they found something to ding his reputation, then it started wearing on him because everything was positive. And then once the one thing, when the gambling and the golf and everything popped up, then they just rode him. The thing you had to realize, too, was he was the air quote cash cow for everyone involved. NBA, media, Chicago Bulls, branding, to sit there and try to chip away at him like that, knowing he was the one that was carrying a lot of this on his back, made it didn't make them put them in a positive light because they were a part of that. Build them up, tear them down. I didn't blame him, even though there's all kinds of accusations of why he left after 93 and took that break for baseball. But dang, man, he needed he needed some space. You just every every time you look around, here comes like 40 dudes running at you with cameras and microphones. So it has to take its toll. I would say too, the ones who look bad in all this, uh, I would say baseball. Let's think about this, man. Jordan was a great, great basketball player. For a basketball player to go over to baseball where it requires different muscles, and he was on the verge of getting into the major leagues had the strike not happened. Uh, And so for one person to go from professional basketball and in a year's time frame to get into the major leagues hey man that really says a lot and i think the moral of the story in all this is really about one's work ethic we talk about you know jordan's drive we talk about how he you know really got on everybody but you cannot say that jordan didn't have a work ethic I mean, his work ethic was like no other. And really the moral of the story here is work ethic and working hard towards your pursuit for happiness screams in this documentary. Kudos to Jordan. Great documentary. It's going to be really interesting to see how docu- sports documentaries are going to be made after this. Uh, and also really the response from those who did not look good in this uh, documentary. Thank you for joining us at Backports Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backporchtalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backporchtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.